Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. And what is unique about this season, which begins with baptism, and in, oh, well, less than seven weeks, it's going to end with transfiguration. In between, the emphasis is always with the texts and, uh, and the readings and the hymns. It's all around Jesus shining forth, and that's what the word epiphany means, to shine forth as the true Son of God. People could see he was a man. He walked, he talked, um, he ate, he slept. But people needed to understand that he was also the son of God. And especially his miracles were proofs over and over again that Jesus is the son of God. I prepared a sermon last week on baptism from Romans chapter 6. And since I wasn't able to to preach on it because I got... Uh, sick with the stomach flu, I decided I'm going to preach on this sermon because it fits beautifully with the Epiphany season. And since last Sunday was the baptism of our Lord, Romans chapter 6 focuses in on our baptism and what our baptism means for us. And with that in mind, I'm going to preach on on those beautiful words. Uh, So all the more that we appreciate Um, our baptism, and what this beautiful means of grace is that God has given us. Our first lesson for this second Sunday after Epiphany is found recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Prophetic vision was not common. Now it happened that Eli's eyes had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see. Once when Eli was lying down in his place and God's lamp had not yet gone out, Samuel was lying down in the Lord's temple where God's ark was. The Lord called Samuel and Samuel said, I am here. He ran to Eli and said, I am here since you called me. Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. Then the Lord called once again, Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, I am here since you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel had not yet experienced the Lord's presence. That is, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel for the third time. So he got up and went to Eli and said, I am here since you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the young man. So Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and once again lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there and called as he had the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak. For your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Our next lesson is taken 
from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at the 13th verse. The Apostle Paul writes, But we are always obligated to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning for salvation by the sanctifying work of the Spirit and faith in the truth. For this reason, he also called you through our gospel so that you would obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to the teachings that were passed along to you, either by word of mouth or by a letter from us. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and in his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. The word of the Lord. Our gospel is taken from John chapter 1 beginning at the 43rd verse. The next day Jesus wanted to leave for Galilee. He founded Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Come and see, Philip told him. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Truly, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus replied, You believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, Amen, amen, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the, the Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 6 beginning at the first verse. St. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by his baptism into his death. So just so just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too also walk in a new life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him to make our sinful body powerless so that we would not continue to serve sin. For the person who has died has been declared free from sin. And since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has control over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives... 
he lives to God. In the same way, also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Dear baptized children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ, many of you know that I am one who does not believe there's more than one way to interpret the Bible. In other words, God inspires some people to interpret it this way, and, and he inspires others to interpret it another way. And therefore, you believe what you want to believe about the Bible, and, and you over here believe whatever you want to believe, and if we disagree, we just simply agree to disagree. No, I believe there's only one way to interpret the Bible, and, and that is in the light of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Letting scripture speak for itself, always coming with the attitude is, this is not my religion to tell God what to do. This is God's religion. And since this is his holy word, he tells me. He informs me. So once again, there is only one way to understand the scriptures. But many can take the scriptures and interpret them however they want. And they can easily take words out of context and pretty much justify whatever they want to promote or believe or think or say. In fact, if you take God's word out of context, you definitely can justify anything to the point where you can preach things that is not even in the Bible at all. And yet people will flock to hear it. Another one of the common ways to interpret the Bible is through a method called allegory, which I'm really fearful is becoming more and more popular among even Christian pastors. Allegory is the idea that we'll take a Bible verse and, and we'll try to find a deeper meaning and, and really come up with a whole other meaning than what the original meaning is. I'll give you an example is Jesus is making his way to Samaria. He didn't take the long way to Galilee. He took the short road to Samaria. And therefore, if you make short-term investments, you will be dearly blessed by God. Now, you would say, well, that's not what the passage says at all. And you would be absolutely right. But again, many people preach this way. And the sad truth is, many listen to it preached this way. Always take God at his word. Always understand the passage in the, in the light of the immediate context, in the, in the light of, of the chapter itself, in the light of the book that it comes from, in the light of the entire holy scriptures. Always letting scripture interpret itself and understand this is God's word, not my word to do with what I want. Even the apostle Paul had to be extremely careful uh, in his preaching, knowing that there would be people who would twist and turn his words. And he, in writing this letter, is writing through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In the very chapter before this one that is our text, he makes this important point. So just as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness in resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
He even in this chapter speaks of his grace that wherever sin increased, grace increased all the more. The point being that when it comes to God dealing with sin, his love, his undeserved love for us, is greater and mightier than the sin he has conquered and the sin that he paid for. But the temptation is to think that, well, where sin increases, grace increases all the more, then wouldn't that mean this? What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? The idea was, is, well, if Jesus came because of sin, well, would it make sense? It sounds very religious that if I sin more, Jesus would come more. And Paul's answer to such a thought is he stomps it down. He buries it. He won't even let it see the light of day when he says the words, absolutely not. This is not the thinking. This is not how God puts it. And to twist and turn it and make it that way is appalling because we died to sin. So he asks the question, how can we go on living in it any longer? Now the answer is we can't because we're dead to sin. Jesus paid for the sins. But he doesn't answer that way. He answers this question with another question. And that question deals with our baptism. Paul writes, Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into death. Now baptism is the applying of water in the name of, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the holy command that Jesus gave when he said, Go make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the triune God. But baptism does something. Baptism offers you something. Knowing that in baptism, the Holy Spirit works through the very holy name of God. This is, this is the gospel summed up in a nutshell. It, everything that God has done to save us is found in his holy name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And and knowing that the Holy Spirit works through this, we in baptism are blessed. For through baptism with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are connected with Christ. And Paul actually takes it a step further. We're not only connected with Christ as baptized, as a baptized child of God, we're in partners. We're partners in his death and burial. Not partners in the sense of that we join Christ in paying for our sins and earning salvation, but partners in the sense that what Christ has done is our very own. His death is our very own. His burial is our very own. The blessings that come with his sacrifice on the cross, all those blessings is our very own. In other words, the forgiveness of sins is our very own. So through baptism, we are dead to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? And obviously, when, we, when Paul writes here, we're dead to sin, it's similar to like saying, well, I'm dead to the world. Or, 
Or if someone says to another person, you're dead to me, well, the person is still very much alive. But they're dead to you because you want nothing to do with them. You don't want their influence anymore. You're done with them. And that is who we are through baptism. As baptized children of God, we're dead to sin. Nothing we want to do with it anymore. So as baptized children of God, you are partners with his death and burial. Boy, if, if Paul would have just stopped right there, we would have had to say hallelujah and thank you, God, for letting us know this and, and, and letting us know how, how wonderful and, and glorious this gift of baptism that you have given us. But Paul doesn't stop there. I think of it like an ice cream cone. He goes and, and heaps another scoop on top and gives us even more glorious good news. Especially when he says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him to make our sinful body powerless so that we would not continue to serve sin. For the person who has died has, de has been declared free from sin. Here he explains what, when we say we died to sin, when he writes we died to sin, he tells us what died and how it died. What died is the old self. The old self is, is also called the old Adam. This is our sinful nature that we've inherited. After Adam and Eve sinned and, and, and ate from the tree that God com commanded them not to eat from, we are told in the Holy Scripture that Adam's son was not born in God's image, but in Adam's image. And that was the image of sin. You and I have inherited a sinful nature. You and I have inherited a sinful nature that Paul describes here as the sinful body. The sinful nature cursed our very human nature. And this very sinful nature leads us and controls us and leads us to actually commit sins. We're slaves to sin. Jesus said that. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And where is their freedom in being a slave to sin? Think of sin like a harsh taskmaster. Oh, it, it controls you. It, it pushes you. It, it, it drives you to live going against God's commands and serve your own sinful self. My dear friends, being a slave to sin is not what we want because as a slave to sin, we live under the fear of the punishment of sin, which is death, and that includes death in hell. But through baptism, Paul writes here that the old self was crucified, that the sinful body is made powerless, that we would not continue to serve sin, and that people who have died have been declared free from sin. Jesus, his crucifixion that paid for the punishment of sin, which is even death itself, is now ours through baptism. So even though you and I haven't died, we have died in the sense that Christ died for us. And through baptism, his death is personally ours. 
Yes, the forgiveness of sins, but also the freedom from guilt itself. We are free from sin's power. But yet we daily sin much. In fact, the very next chapter, Paul talks about our sinful nature and the things we ought not to do, which we keep doing. He even concludes by saying, I am a wretched man. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? But then he goes on to say, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through baptism, you have been made a new creation. You have now a new self that has been created within you by God the Holy Spirit himself. This new creation, this new self is completely opposite of the old self. In fact, the old self and the new self oppose each other. The new self, that is controlled by the Holy Spirit who works through the word and always points us to Christ. So we wrestle with the old self and the new self. But as baptized children of God, we get to hear that we're free. That as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, as we take to heart his holy word, as the Holy Spirit continues to strengthen our hearts, we find ourselves saying no to sin and yes to the Lord. We will never be perfect on this side of heaven, but there is no end to how far we continue to live for the Lord, free from sin's power. My dear friends, you are baptized. And as baptized children of God, you are with Christ, connected with him, partners in his death and burial. But Paul doesn't stop there. Now he heaps on another, uh, another scoop of ice cream. This is going to be the sweetest and the best news of all. Especially when he writes... For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We are connected with Christ in his resurrection. His resurrection conquered death. His resurrection conquered death and has nothing more to do with sin. Sin has, he's dead to sin. Sin is done with. And now that resurrection and all the blessings that come with it is now ours. Death has no mastery over him. And therefore, as baptized children of God, connected with his resurrection, death has no mastery over us. Oh, yes, we do face death. But there is life after death. Death has been conquered. We don't face death the fear of eternal condemnation in hell, we live rejoicing that in Christ Jesus, as baptized children of God, we are saved and heaven is our home. Because that's where Christ reigns and we belong to him. We are with him. And not only are we free from the fear of death, but we now have a new life to live for the one who won for us everlasting life. We live for the Lord, giving glory to the Lord, praising the Lord, and saying as Jesus said at Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done, and knowing that God's will is always perfect and holy. The, the holy will of God is beautifully 
as beautifully written about in his holy word, the Bible. God, is in his infinite wisdom, shared with us that holy will. Learn it. Take it to heart. And do so knowing who you are. Baptized children of God. I was asked one time by someone, you Lutherans, you believe that baptism is a means of grace. You know, a means through which the Holy Spirit works to give us God's undeserved love. In other words, baptism is God's gift. Baptism isn't just man's gift to God. So don't look upon baptism as simply, uh, okay, this is what I need to do. This is some church custom that they tell us to do. Or maybe this is a bucket list and once it's done, I get to check it off. But she said, but the person said to me, so where in the Bible does it say baptism is the means of grace? And there is no passage that specifically spells out those words. But here we have before us clearly that baptism is the means of grace. Because we're connected with Christ. Because baptism does something. Because baptism gives us something. And the things that it gives us are the things that you and I can't live without. These are the things we need. To live each moment of every day, for without it we are truly lost. For through baptism we receive the forgiveness of sins, new life, and eternal salvation. These are God's gifts to you. And thank you, God, for blessing them personally, making them our own through baptism. Again, remember who you are. You're more than a Christian. You're more than a disciple. You're more than a follower. You are a baptized child of God. Baptized into a new life. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.